Welcome today. I have the pleasure of speaking with one of the most beautiful women I know. And Janet and I were in a yoga therapy training program. I was one of the faculty and she was getting her certification. Oh gosh, I think it started in 2014 and maybe we finished in 2017 or something like that in Nashville, Tennessee. And I've always had such a warm feeling in my heart about Janet. She is such an amazing woman. So when I asked her to be on the podcast, yes, it is because she's on the board of directors of the International Association of Yoga Therapists, but honestly, and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee of IAYT, those are so important that's not the best part about her. The best part of Janet is this deep, deep heart that she has. And you can just feel it in her presence. So I think you're going to love this interview. And some of the really interesting things about Janet are that she has taken these deep spiritual teachings from ancient India mainly Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, and I'm sure other texts that she studied. And she has brought them directly into corporate America without apology. And she says it in her LinkedIn profile. Like, I think so many of us are scared to tell the secret of what we're doing, right? That we want to kind of sugarcoat it and be like, yes, I... I can benefit your company in these ways. And in the back of your mind, you know, well, this is just Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, but they don't need to know that. But she has it front and center on her LinkedIn profile as her differentiating factor. You know, she's in the field of change management. So what that means is she's helping companies with their culture and adapt to the necessary changes. That's yoga, parinama, change is inevitable. Change causes suffering. We don't like change. We resist change. And Janet is helping organizations and individuals in those organizations not just get through the change, but actually help them to understand why they need it, why it's going to benefit them, and have a sense of internal motivation to adopt that change. That is so yoga therapy. And as she discusses, even though she's not writing Sanskrit words on the board with the diacritical marks, she is acknowledging in corporate America that she is drawing from the ancient teachings of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. And I was just blown away when I saw that on LinkedIn. It is giving me almost like a permission to also have that differentiating factor in corporate America and just be honest about it. And so, you know, before I saw Janet's profile, maybe six weeks ago, I updated my LinkedIn profile to attract companies, corporations, hospitals, educational institutions to hire our optimal state graduates from our yoga therapy school. And, you know, it's a really tender area to try to determine how much do I talk about what we're actually doing, will the corporations like that? Will they think it's weird? And and the truth is probably 98% of them will breeze right on by or will think, who is this 
strange woman or gosh, that's not the kind of uh, person we're looking for. And no, those aren't the kind of graduates we want in our wellness program, but that 2%, they're going to, that, that's exactly what they want. They've been looking for it. I recently had a university that I'm talking to say, yeah, we have a center of spirituality and this is exactly what we want. And we've been looking all over for someone with this differentiating factor. And it's really hard to find. Can we talk to you? So I guess the moral of the story from both Janet, as you'll hear in this interview, but also I'm, I'm parroting this is be you allow yourself to shine, find that differentiating factor, be proud of it because the people who want that are going to find you. And they're, they're not just Buddhist organizations. They're not just yogic organizations. These are hospitals and universities, usually with people in leadership that get it, that are the change makers, that are the early adopters, that are seeing where their employees are struggling, and they're willing to take a chance on something a little different because they too, as the leader of that organization, have experienced transformation as a result of allowing something a little bit different to come into their organizations. And those are the people you want to work for. They're amazing to work for. So I love this interview. I love that Janet has basically taken her management experience and her marketing experience to become a change management consultant and that people are loving it. And, and those organizations are essentially one of her yoga therapy clients, both as an organization, but also the individuals in that organization. So it's a wonderful interview. And I look forward to sharing with you my friend and colleague, Janet Caldwell. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Please nourish yourself, take time for yourself, and really relax into listening to the podcast. Thank you for coming, Janet. I'm so happy to see you. And as I said, you're looking radiant today. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Amy. I would like to just start with a little candle, uh, auspicious mm -hmm. reunion for us. We met in Nashville at a yoga therapy training. Gosh, almost, I think we started almost 10 years, eight years ago or something. Mm. And I just want to kind of hold the light inside of you and the light inside of me and just kind of let our bodies, minds, and spirits come together again, since it's been a little while since we've talked. So yes, thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> so Janet, I was doing some research on you this morning because it has been a little while since we've been in deep connection with one another. And I was just shocked and awed. I'm going to bring it up on the screen for those of you watching this on YouTube. I went to Janet's LinkedIn profile, which is where you could contact her, Janet Caldwell, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L-M-S and C-I-A-Y-T. And first, 
tell us what you do. You're in the field of change management. And that was new to me. And I just want to learn about that a little bit. Yes. Thank you, Amy. Okay. So change management is actually a discipline where we help organizations manage their change. So I'm using the same words to define this, but really a real world example is a lot of times uh, businesses will employ operational changes that they want all of their employees to undertake and do. And the idea is, oh, okay, we can make this decision. We can say what we're going to change. We'll send an email out and have everyone do the changes and then they'll adopt the changes and move on. And so the field of change management says that, okay, yes, you can make those decisions, but you actually have to help your employees adopt the changes that you want them to do. And so you do everything from obviously clear communication and defining what the change is, but also providing some support through managerial support, identifying who is resistant to change, possibly why they're resistant to change, having them get involved in solutioning for the changes and having things in place like recognition to help reinforce the change has been made. So those are kind of the highlights. <laughs> it's, it's a quite, quite in-depth field, but yes, this is, this is what I have the luxury and opportunity to do. Okay. I need, I need someone like you in my optimal state yoga therapy program. <laughs> yeah. you know, in this lone wolf line that just kind of makes a decision, turns on a dime and expects everybody to switch with me. And first of all, the emails don't get read oftentimes. I say things 10 times and people are distracted and maybe they are resistant. So what are some of the, like, do you have, hi doggy. <laughs> I am so sorry, Mia, just decided she didn't participate today. <laughs> we like dogs on this podcast. He okay, is good. <laughs> welcome to be with us. That makes us happy. Our hearts are welcoming. Thank um, you. Wonderful. Well, she was sweet. What, what would you do on a date? Like, would you have a meeting with the team and say, what are the obstacles to overcoming this? Where is the resist? Like, is it yeah, just meeting with people mainly or what, like, what do you do on a daily basis? So we're going to draw yes. you into this in a minute. Well, and you're already hitting on it, right? You've talked about obstacles. So the key to change and change management is really helping cultivate a sense of desire for the change. And that's what we focus on. What is going to, and, and the interesting thing about desire, right? Is it's something that can't be handed down. <laughs> like I can't say, Amy, now you have the desire to change, so go, go do it, right? So there's really relationship that has to happen with employees. And there's the identification of what would motivate them to want to adopt the change. And what's interesting is, People come, they, they can come on board with wanting to make the change quickly, mm. but it's really not until something inside goes off and says, oh, okay, now I'm committed to actually doing this. And so I think that's where a lot of leaders get stuck is because they've, they've raised their hands. They're all in, we have to do it. We have to do it for the business, but even they have something inside where it's like, oh, okay, not only do I believe in what we're going to do, but now I can help others do it. So we do things like empathy mapping. We will interview. We do stakeholder interviews. 
We do leadership cultivation because we have to help leaders get on the same page and align about what it is that they're looking to see. We help identify, the, and the biggest thing is why, right? Really helping organizations crystallize why does this change matter? And usually once you can define the why, that's when your employees, when it's crisp enough for them to understand why, then that's when they can start cultivating their sense of desire to want to help the organization with the change. So yes, we do call meetings in, we do have, you know, interviews and one-on-ones and we're constantly listening for what's important. What is meaningful to you? What's going to help you almost like have a relationship with what this change is and then go ahead and decide to adopt it. Everything you're saying is yoga therapy because this is how we deal with life. Life is a series of unending changes. We get attached to the old way. Life requires us to adopt new habits and patterns and new ways of being. And it's so much more comfortable to just do what we've always done. I, I mean, it sounds like you're basically a yoga therapist for this organization. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly how I approach it, this lens, right? I think once you cultivate your yoga therapy lens, mm. you really do see the world differently and you see people differently. And what I found, you know, my favorite section to work in is with leaders because they tend to be the ones that are the most impatient. And, you know, they also are the ones that there's so much on their plate. There's so much other change that they want to see happen quickly that, you know, the one that they've actually launched and, and got the ball rolling on, you know, the temptation is, okay, that one's done. So now let's go to the next thing. And guilty, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's done in my mind. Doesn't everyone else know what's going on? <laughs> right. And then you get to the status meeting, right? And then you're like, what? what? Nobody's using this tool. Why not? You know, and then they're trying to uncover all the reasons why. So I have you I'm been like, spying on us, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the yoga therapy though, right? So you just it's the same thing with, you know, you can take an individual client and they come to you and you know how we can see so much because we're taught to observe. And, you know, we work with them on, on a plan or a course plan. And, you know, what's, what's the first step? The first step is getting traction in doing the plan, right? Doing the actual practice. And how long do you sit in that space with someone before, you know, you hold the space for them to have the desire to do the practice? <laughs> oh, and then uncover the obstacles and give empathy mapping, which I want to know more about that. Listen and interview them. And what are the resistances? I mean, it's really remarkable. And okay. I was in shock when I saw this LinkedIn profile, because here you are with a master's degree. You've been a woman who has been a marketing director for a, a college. You've got the credentials woman, right? If you go <laughs> I was reading through them, but in your profile, you had the gumption to say I am using Patanjali's Yoga Sutra mm. with my company, mm. like in the front of your profile. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. First of all, was that scary to, to, to like say, I'm using Patanjali's Yoga Sutra in a corporate setting? Was that, did you have any yeah. resistance or were you like, no, this is what we're doing. Get on board. You know, I had some pretty interesting life-changing events. One of which was I was 
released or liberated from one of my assignments. And the time was, you know, to, to move on. It was a great great opportunity. But when the time came to move on, it was time. And then I had some silence and the silence was, you know, not necessarily being employed, but also having two girls that I knew I wanted to get to SMU because <laughs> that's our alma mater. My, my dad graduated from there and I, I did too. And so I really had some soul searching to do in that time of silence I consulted with my mentor, Gurjeet, and then Gurjeet had me consult with Chase. And Chase was like, wonder if we should go to Chennai. And so I did, went to KYM. Wow. Life-changing, observed, you know, yoga therapy, took some chanting classes, really got still. And when I came back, I was ready to re-enter into the workforce, you know, because it's necessary. I mean, I got to put food on the table. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? This is a part of me. This is who I am. I have just come off of this experience where had it not been for my practice and my study of the sutras, I you know, could have gone crazy. And for lack of a better description, but really could have just, you know, not, not been okay. I said, this is part of me and this is what I lead with and it's how I see the world. And so I had that under my belt and then I actually got certified, ProSci certified in change management. And when I got the certification, I was like, okay, number one, I've been doing this all along, you know, didn't necessarily realize it, but two, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is what I also study and love and it matches up with the philosophy. So yeah. So, so that's so how I ended up doing it. Organic experience of putting a title on who you are yeah. and saying, take me as I am. This is, this is what you're going to get. And did your company buy in right away? Did they know you were going to use Patanjali Yoga Sutra to help them with their change management? You know, it's so I work for a consulting firm and it's fantastic being a consultant because you do get to show up how you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that they have realized that it is a differentiator in how I show up with the client. And even though I'm with a consulting firm, you know, I do get tapped on the shoulder for opportunities. And it's usually the first thing that people want to understand. Okay. Like, how do you really use this? And it's being aware of how our mind works and first being aware of how I work, what's happening within me, and then being able to have the discernment to move out of the way and then actually serve in the moment that, that I'm in. And so that is a daily opportunity, experience, practice, of course, because, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, wait, I want this. I want you to do it this way. And then, you know, you have to think, oh, okay, wait. <laughs> yeah, that's not what this is about. So. Okay. So I have two questions. Number one, is it safe to assume that when you present it to the employees or the leadership that you're not necessarily leading with the Sanskrit, that you're kind of translating it into a language they can hear? Very safe. Yes, of course. Yeah. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of being able to study ancient wisdom, right? And ancient texts 
and then make sure that we are approachable and uh, attainable for people. Right. And yeah, it's, and actually it's one of the things that has given me the confidence to do what I do because, you know, in change management and then just, just in general, right. Adult learning, people learning. And when you can sense that there's not an understanding, then, you know, going ahead and raising your hand and asking the dumb question. Right. But knowing that you're going to facilitate and, and, you know, foster what's happening and, and what are you really doing? Right. You're helping to provide clarity. And when you can see what people may be grasping at, right? Well, but I don't want to change. Well, no, because what's going to happen to me, you know, and then you understand, okay, these are some clashes that are coming up and how can you feel safe and, you know, how can we relinquish and open the hand? So these opportunities, they come up before you. I don't necessarily call them out, but, you know, I feel fortunate that I can see them because then I can navigate the approach and the conversation and provide, you know, things that will be helpful people. Okay. Love, love, love all of that. And the second thing I heard you say a few minutes back was it has become my differentiating factor. And I, you know, we have a business course that starts every May and we go for 11 months as a cohort that help people build their business. And so many people are scared to create a differentiating factor because you're different. You're the unicorn in the room. Mm. It feels lonely. It feels scary. It feels like, am I, is anybody going to get me? Mm. Am I going to be sitting here as a consultant with no clients because I'm the weird yoga Mm. sutra change management Mm. woman? (laughs) So I tell our students, no, you need to find that differentiating factor. There are people out there looking for that. And when they see that, they're going to choose you over the 72 other people on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So how does that feel inside to claim your differentiating factor? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, you know, I'll have to say a couple of things. Obviously I I can't take credit for the confidence of, of claiming that outright. I think that, well, I know, that it was revealed to me organically and through experience. And it came from my own practice, consistency with my daily practice, my relationship with my mentor, all of those things that we do that help us find ourselves within. So I guess my advice would be allow it to appear. And when it's authentic, it can't not be you. I was just going to say that it sounds like you're saying there was a point where you couldn't deny it any longer. Yeah. Like the seed had grown into a little sapling, had grown into a tree and it's almost impossible to ignore who you are and shut that part of you down. That would be self-harming. And you know, it's bigger than it's even as we're talking, I'm reflecting on it's even bigger than this idea of what is yoga, what is yoga philosophy. I do have family members who are questioning, oh my gosh, you know, did you change religion? I mean, all the things that kind of go into this. Can I take a time out just for a second? Yeah. I hate to disturb your train of thought, but if I remember um, that you're the daughter of a Christian minister, yeah? Yeah, I was just getting ready to say, yeah. So I'm a <laughs> oh, my. So I, I remember yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew this would resonate with you. Yes, we're both PKs. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> PK's gone to India. Gone wild. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I have to say, my dad being the most supportive, and then, of course, my mom being very, you know, a teacher. So I came in through a preacher and a teacher. And what I found was in my studies, this has just expanded my view. And, you know, big, big things that I learned is, ha, 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 how funny am I thinking I could define God? God turns out to be so much bigger than what I thought God. So let's start with that. But that hit me, right? But what nailed it for me was Yoga Sutra 123. And then I was like, okay. I understand this. I get this. So can you help our listeners understand what that means to you? One twenty. Yes. This surrender in a way that is comfortable and supported and held and not defeatist, but and not punitive, but almost a clarity and an understanding that, wow, there's something bigger than me that is guiding me and supporting me and is intentional in this journey. Mm -hmm. That realization, when I did start, you know, studying the sutras with, with some kind of deliberation is what really opened a lot of things up for me. I am grateful for that expansion so grateful for that expansion. Would you say it's a yes to Christianity and Jesus? And is it a yes and for you now? Yes. Yes. Definitely a yes and. Again, you know, my, my humble theory, there's no way I could define and box in the love of God. Not for me to do. What is for me to do is to see and witness that God is everything and God is in everything. And it's hard. It's hard. I want God only to be in the things that I like. <laughs> I don't want God to be in my enemies. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean you're in there over there? Wait, what? <laughs> Those nasty people that liberate us from our careers. <laughs> you don't want God to be there. <laughs> Come over here, Jesus. <laughs> Take <Yeah>. this <laughs> so that in and of itself is a journey of suffering, right? Mm. That in and of itself. And so how, how do you manage that? And it's the cons it's the shraddha, right? The Shraddha is what? Not faith. Yeah. But yeah. I, we just talked about this in one of our classes last night. Like, you don't know where you're going. You don't even know if there's an endpoint or a destination. Everything's a little fuzzy. It's like walking around in a dark room and kind of figure, feeling the walls. Like, okay, am I going the right direction? There's no promise of anything at the end. Right. But there's this thing inside of you, this, we call it the light, the Ishvara, but it's a, it's a subtle feeling inside of you that you're supposed to take the next step. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you've been doing step by step by step. Yeah. I love how you said that. And 
you know, encouraging people who are on this journey, we're, we're all on this journey, really, but encouraging everyone that there's a lot of hindsight to this realization, right? When you're in it, oh my gosh, yes, crying into the pillow. Yes, you know, w- waking up and, I mean, my personal practice alone changed so much. There, there was a stint in my personal practice I could not sit down in applesauce crisscross sukhasana. I could not sit down, like woke up one day and could no longer sit. So I go to Gurjeet and like, hey, I mean, me, update my pride. I don't know what's going on, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, okay, no worries. You'll have a side of the bed practice. Well, you know, the the determination, I guess, or the commitment to the practice, the devotion to the practice. Oh, okay. Thank you, Kurjeet. Side of the bed practice for however long. And, you know, whatever was happening in my life, I can't even remember. And then eventually, you know, back to, oh, okay, now I can do this, my practice the way it was. So, you know, I share that because it's, it's just, it's not linear. And you just don't even know what to expect. Who would have thought healthy woman, sun salutation one morning and then six months. Okay. Side of the bed practice still just as effective, of course, but you know, but supporting me in what I needed. And that's why I call this embodied mental health care, what we're doing, because probably something was happening mentally, emotionally, spiritually that lodged itself in your body. And suddenly after years of sitting in Sukhasana, suddenly, no, that's not happening. Sorry. Yeah. It worked its way through and then, oh, I can sit comfortably again or not. Yeah, exactly. Or not. But this is, you know, I ref- that what made me think that was when you said, you know, you're in this room and you're stumbling around <laughs> and you're like, yeah. <laughs> There's no guarantees. But the the thing I told my students last night, because you know, we're only six weeks into our new cohort, and I said to them, This may feel like there's nothing tangible to hold on to. However, people have been using this for thousands and thousands of years to suffer less and eventually find out who they are. Like we don't really need evidence-based medicine. It's nice to have it. Don't get me wrong. But honestly, people have been doing this pathway, stumbling through this dark hallway, feeling their hands on the wall, tripping, right? Mm -hmm. They've been doing this for thousands of years. And that's what we can have faith in, even though it may be kind of uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that fully. So true. And the beauty of it is each moment you, you can just be. Yes. You really can just be. That's such a relief. It's taken me so long to get there, Janet, to yeah. not be so future oriented and where am I going and where's this, what's this going to get me? And what am I going to find when I get there? And how am I going to control that? <laughs> like, yeah. nice to just like sit back in your chair and be like, I can just be. And I can feel the, the walls in the dark and that's what I can do. And that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Freedom in that. Such freedom. And what I'm learning about freedom is that that in and of itself takes practice. Mm-hmm. Like freedom and, and even healing, 
even healing when you are healed takes some relinquishing and grieving Mm -hmm. in what you have just healed from. It's quite an interesting dynamic of what you get attached to. You know, sometimes we say, oh, you were just comfortable with that, but kind of are attached to it too. I mean, it had, it had an identity for you. I can imagine. I mean, when I was with you in the yoga therapy program, you had just gotten this amazing new job. You were like, in my mind, you were like the it girl, like you were the marketing queen. You were going to turn things around. It was spectacular. I felt proud for you, not of you, but for you. you. (laughs) Thank you. I can imagine like if, and when it kind of fell apart, as you said, you were liberated um, (laughs) from this job. Like, even though maybe I'm just guessing, cause I know nothing about it, but if it was dysfunctional or stressful or things weren't unfolding the way you wanted, I'm sure there had to be some attachment to that suffering mm. and you had to grieve before you could move into this new space of being a change management specialist using Patanjali's yoga sutra in your work outright. Yeah. Yeah, this is such a good way to describe that experience because it's it's very true, right? You are plugging along and you've got this discipline that you are passionate about and you're learning a lot about and it is changing your relationships and you're changing and you can see how you're changing. And then, you know, a life event happens that's pretty abrupt. And what do you have is you you still have your practice and for me the practice is it's spiritual it's always been spiritual for me i mean from from day one right so you have that and then you lean on it in a way that you have no clue how it's going to carry you or where it's going to carry you just that you are held and sitting in the knowing that you are held when you don't see a frame or a chair or feel a chair for lack of a better word you know when you don't feel tangibly that you're being held is quite an interesting space that yes i experienced and continued to cultivate i guess you know more learning more understanding you know more connection I want to ask you a personal question and you can say, no, thank you. Or we can edit it out if we need to. But in that moment, when you found out you had been liberated, was there any, I know there's probably a lot of disappointment or surprise or, but was there any part of you in the moment that was like, I'm liberated? Did you, did you have both simultaneously? Or- <laughs> I am laughing so hard because you are a yoga therapist. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I, I've been there like so devastated, but also like, oh my God, I might have a new lease on life and it's terrifying, but I okay. want out of this. I want out nobody, of this. <laughs> nobody will believe, you will believe this, but I do remember walking around and thinking, huh, not sure I'm going to be here that much longer. And then specifically saying, surely I will be here long enough to graduate the girls. I remember saying that. From college. Uh Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. No, from I was being greedy <laughs> from college. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because this, ha- this happened when they were in high school. And I, d- of course, you know, what do you do? You just kind of, what was that about? And move on. <laughs> Who's talking to me? Just shut up. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Please don't send those messages down here. Yes, right. <laughs> Why is that popping into my head? I literally can see the sidewalk, and I do remember um, some some birds in the tree, blue jays. So, yes. Now, again, this is hindsight. Do those dots connect when stuff is happening? Absolutely not. But in hindsight, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's always in hindsight. It's so frustrating. And there's no I know, right? foresight. <laughs> but what I'm hearing you say, and this is something I agree with, but please refine it for me if I'm not, you know, being eloquent with my my words here. This hindsight happens because we have the lens of yoga therapy and Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. And because of that framework, we can make sense of those events and how we reacted and how it felt and what do we need to do going forward without that framework, there would be no hindsight. It would be like, Oh, I just got liberated from this position. It was horrible. I'm trying to get back on my feet and my family's suffering instead of, Oh, there's a bigger picture here, as you said. Yeah. And I think the lens too gives us, it gives us freedom for our emotions. Mm. Because it would be so easy to stay stuck in anger to a point that it would not be productive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this this idea of processing, digesting, right? Actually becoming, you know, this anger becoming part of, of me and then moving it through or processing it however... Yeah, I definitely think that that helped. And, you know, when we, we think of that digestion process, you know, the the kapha taking it in and holding that suffering and then the pitta breaking it down and, you know, pulling apart the nutrients to send off the sweetness and the, the good things. And then, oh, here's the waste product we no longer need. And then mm-hmm. going down to vata and eliminating it. So many of us, when we have struggle and strife in life we can't do all three phases of the digestion and just like you said then it gets stuck in us Mm -hmm. anger Mm -hmm. becomes part of us Mm -hmm. yeah and this this beauty and the miracle of digestion and transformation you know what you just described yeah and and then also time right allowing there's that there's that word again you know Dolphy introduced that word or well when I first heard it, it was when she said, allow your breath to appear. And I was like, what? I'm not supposed to reach out and grab it? <laughs> You're a true Pitta woman. <laughs> what do you mean I was supposed to suck that in and hold it? You know, <laughs> she's like, allow it to appear. And I thought, I'm going to have to work on this. But this allowing, um, this the allowing the processing, right? And this, I think this comes with, uh, self-compassion mm. and maybe even a little bit of boundary setting because you know depending on who's in your life you can get pressure to digest faster right 
or put the pressure on ourselves. The suffering is so great. I want to get through this. I can't sit here any longer. It's too painful. Let's just move on. And then it gets stuck in there undigested. Yeah. I know everyone has their journey, but yes, this definitely has been in my journey. So what would you say is for you, one or two of the most important tools that allows you to live in a way that you're talking about in this interview that allows you to have shraddha to give it time and space that allows you to invite allowing like what are what are the tools that have gotten you there yeah i'm gonna say daily practice from my mentor Mm. is probably number one before i started this this journey with intent, you know, I did something every morning, you know, before everyone woke up, whether it was devotional or, you know, reading Bible passages or journaling or something. So I was in the habit of space Mm -hmm. for Janet, right? But then this outside view and the yoga therapy, because, you know, I, I am a yoga therapist and I am in yoga therapy, That support has helped me navigate, what, for 10 years now. Um, And by that, you mean your mentor, Gurjeet? Yes, yes. He's your outside reference point, almost like your pole star. Not he and his personality per se, even though he has a fantastic personality and he's an amazing human being, but knowing that he's there, knowing you have a pole star to come back to, knowing that when you were liberated, there's somebody to literally break down with if you need to. Yeah. It knows yeah. you, cares about you, and is invested in your well-being. Yeah. The same person that was able to not freak out because I couldn't sit down, but say, oh, okay. Side of the bed, practice now. Here you go. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I just think it's so underrated. Like when in our optimal state program, we talk about mentorship and daily practice. And I think 50% of the people that sign up are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I do yoga every day. And this idea of true mentorship, not, you know, I'm going to grade your homework for three minutes and then spit an email back at you, but true, I'm with you in this thing called life. Like that is so rare and so precious. And I actually get upset at students who aren't, it's like they have a block against it. And I think it's because they've never experienced that kind of support and compassion. It's almost like they they can't even receive it because it's so foreign to them. Yeah, I think what makes me a good yoga therapist is my daily practice. Yeah. My my relationship with my mentor, what makes me a good change manager is that whole experience, how it resonated for me. I'm trying to think, well, it's probably the pita, right? I mean, you give a pita an assignment, they're like, oh. <laughs> so before it gets all good and juicy, it's like, gotta do it, gotta do it, gotta do it. Now it's good and juicy, <laughs> but I'm sure I was... But you've also had that kapa sweetness to you this whole time. Yeah, this is true. You're you, you're the oil that the flame sits in. Also. Yeah, yeah, 
Kafaz, they're definitely there. I, I agree. I don't know. You know, I've got mentees. The daily practice is a struggle and, you know, I hold the space for them. Find ways to, actually, you helped me with this too, because you gave us an example of how you can break it down. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be like this whole hour and a half, whatever it can be. Let's, let's just start out small, which makes sense, right? This is yoga therapy too. Um, but you taught, you taught this in our training. I have been fortunate enough to use that with some mentees and it does help a lot because sometimes it just seems like it's so big, you know, you don't have the time, you know, your life situation, all kinds of stuff, but you know, just getting that traction going. I think the other tool is my faith in God. And yes, I am a Christian and those rituals, the hymns sound different. The celebrations are different now. They're just much more expansive for me. They're much more inclusive for me. And, you know, I'm fortunate because my dad is like that. This is the kind of preacher that he is, right? And my mom, this is the kind. And so my grandfather also was a United Methodist minister and he too, inclusive. So this idea of welcoming in and expanding in this way, this hospitality, the sharing. I too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, and these, these are people who share any and everything without exclusion. We could be sitting here and my dad could be eating the last piece of a pecan pie. And if we, if you and I walk in and first thing he's going to say, well, have some of this pie. And we're like, um, no, no, that's okay. You finish. No, no, please. And he will cut that pie in thirds. He'd be like, you. I mean, the fellowship of com- a communion, everything is, co- you know, this communion. And then, of course, nourishment, right? And so, anyway, I and, could go on and on. But let's <laughs> see, that is Sangha. That is what we call Sangha or community. And I'm, I'm with you. Those Christian hymns take on a whole different meaning because I'm picking out the elements, the five elements out of them. I'm picking out, oh, that's, that's what they say in yoga. Like, it's so amazing to see the threads. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. All right. So we have to talk a little bit about inclusion. Your father, I just saw on LinkedIn was I don't know if he was the first person to break the color barrier at SMU. At SMU, yes. Very good. He wasn't the first. He was in the first class of uh, theology students at Perkins to break the color barrier. Yes, very nice. Um, And I, I love that you did the research on that. And yeah, so he wanted to go to SMU, obviously, to better his better his life and he had the calling to to become a minister. He kind of knew he was going to be a minister even when he was a kid. He had severe stuttering, could barely speak for the longest and even suffered when he was at SMU, but, you know, learned to overcome that. And then we grew up going to SMU football games and, you know, okay, we were in Dallas and I applied to SMU and ended up going best decision of my life. And then when this, you know, as I was raising the girls and deciding, okay, where, where can they apply? <laughs> I was pretty insistent that they had to go to SMU, but I told them they could pick any school where they knew women, specifically women who were, you know, handling it. So obviously SMU had to be one of those and NYU was one and um, Georgia Tech and this, this kind of stuff. And then they got accepted into SMU. So 
Sparrow graduates in May. She will be the fourth person to graduate from our family. My dad is is still living. And one of the rituals at SMU is in Dallas Hall, you step on the seal when you have gotten your degree. So we've got pictures of me, my dad, and Grace, and Sparrow's on the outside. And so in May, Sparrow will be in the inside of it. And she's the first person in our family to get two degrees. So there you go. And when you say there had to be a college or university where women are handling it, what does that mean to you? Oh, yeah. Successful financially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually successful and grounded, responsible, you know, able to navigate this world. Yeah. Well, when I saw her picture on your page, I mean, she's radiant. (laughs) Thank you. She's a woman of power. Yeah. 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 They both are. They are both powerhouses. And yeah, I'm just you know, foundation. What what do you want for your families is some kind of foundation. And that was important for my parents, education. You know, my mother, like I said, she's she's got her doctorate in education, lifelong learner. And that she just instilled that in us, that learning is a joy. And, you know, you just keep on learning. And the sooner you can find what you're interested in, then it becomes joyful. <laughs> but, you know. By the way, I'm going to try to get her on the podcast because she is in a yoga therapy training program in her mid-70s. She is, yes. Lifelong learner. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. I hope she'll come. I hope so, too. (laughs) I'll put in a good word. Okay, thank you. (laughs) All right, so the last question, because I've used up your hour quite uh, efficiently today, at the end of your life, what do you want to know is true for yourself, your family, your God? What What, what is it that you want to take that last breath and just feel that you can relax into? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to say that I want to know that everyone can access this. Everyone can access this knowing, this connection this understanding and I, I, you know, I don't even want to say I've fully understood, right. I'm still coming to understand. I'm still coming to know, but that there is a path and that it is for everyone. It is for everyone. Yeah. Is that why you agreed to join the IAYT diversity, equity, and inclusion task force? Yes. For everyone I, access? Yes, I did. I joined the task force specifically for that, my interest in access, right? And expanding access to this wisdom, to this opportunity to study, to this connection, to this expansion, both me serving as a role model, but also as a conduit, right? To to be able to, and then me learning so much being on the task force. And since then, I'm serving on the board now for what, two more years, I think. Again, you know, my whole point is about access yeah. and uh, yeah, and, and inclusion. And it's a lot, right? We could we could spend a whole other hour on the <laughs> I don't want to go there, but, yeah. but I do thank you because people don't understand being on the board of IYT or, or a DEI task force. It's completely volunteer. Mm-hmm. It is the hardest work I've ever done, honestly. Mm-hmm. And people have no idea the amount of prana you are giving to this goal of helping IAYT 
give more access through you as the conduit among many other people, but mm-hmm. like your life force is going to, in that direction to create change for people 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yes, exactly. And that was the motivator though, Amy, I have to say that was the, that's the joy of it. I do feel like it's reciprocal. And I also think that it's unchartered territory. Like we just haven't done this before. And so like these souls coming together with this intent and then, you know, being open for what, what really can happen different from what, you know, we, we may want to box in. It goes back to this expansiveness again, you know, and the expansiveness of, of the power of, of prana. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, I, I enjoy the work. I do want to say two things because I, I didn't, didn't say it. And I think it's important. I want to acknowledge that I am in Nashville. And Nashville is the land of the Yuchi tribe. Mm-hmm. And also Nashville is economically supported through the slave trade. Mm-hmm. And that all of this is Im- important for all of us. Because again, this is the hindsight, right? Things happened, but also these, these are humans experiencing, these are souls experiencing a journey and, you know, acknowledging and recognizing that is important. I do believe it's, it's what makes me who, who I am. You know, my uh, grandfather was a sharecropper, my grandmother sharecropper with him. This is on my dad's side on my mom's side. My grandmother was a migrant farm worker, my grandfather, an entrepreneur. And so there's a lot coming through here. And I believe that the yoga that I am discovering every day is really a coming back home to what all of this is and, and what this means. And so, of course, gratitude and thanks to Yoga Well and also, you know, KYM and Chennai and all the way to India and Africa. I think it's important to recognize that we get so much from history and ancestors. And I say that I see your ancestors standing behind you, aside, alongside of you, supporting you yes, and, and living through you, literally living through you. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's the beauty. That is the beauty. So thank you for letting me acknowledge that. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I think that's a wonderful place to sit and feel and breathe for all of us participating in this conversation, but also those of you listening Let's just take a little pause and um, soak that in for a moment. Thank you, Janet. It's been really a pleasure to talk to you today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. I am so grateful to Janet for sharing the internal experience that she had as she digested and processed this big change that happened to her. And I think this is how a lot of us end up in yoga therapy, that there's something in our lives that is very challenging, usually something unexpected, or maybe we're just completely burnt out and we can't do corporate capitalistic America today, which includes healthcare and education for a lot of us. 
as well as corporate America. And there's a point where we have to get really honest about what the future is going to hold for us. And there's this moment in time where you're like, well, I don't, I can't stay here. I either, I, I have been asked to leave or I just can't do it another day. And I don't want to get sick if I stay here. I mean, that's frankly why I retired from the university last May. I could feel that I was getting sick. I knew it. I was depleted. I was burnt out. I wasn't having fun anymore. And what do you know? The day I retired at noon, two hours later, I got the report that yes, I had cancer. I didn't even have a two-hour retirement. (laughs) I know that I'm laughing, but you have to laugh or cry. The point is, life will tell you when it's ready to kick you to the next adventure. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And we don't know what that path is going to look like. As Janet so beautifully described her faith, her shraddha, to just put one foot in front of the other, to go to India, to embrace that which she had already become, but had not yet been willing or able to tell the world, hey, I'm a change management consultant that relies on these ancient teachings called Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. You know, like that emerged from the inside out. And I think this is one of the hardest things for our students at Optimal State. They go through an 11-month business class and they think it's going to be all about landing pages and building websites and copy and headlines and finding your offer. It is all of those things. It is 100% all of those things. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is what Janet described, that inner knowing that you no longer belong in this place. You have no idea where you're going. You're walking through the tunnel, feeling the walls, feeling scared, and wondering where you're going, if there's even a destination. Like that is what we do in the business course. It's deep. And, you know, from that emerges beautiful websites and landing pages and social media. But the The problem is a lot of times we want to skip that work. I call it the final exam (laughs) to really get honest with yourself and really understand who you are organically from the inside out and then be willing to bring that to the world. That is the work. And in my experience, that can take two to three years from start to finish to be willing to engage with yourself so deeply and honestly to allow that emergence to happen and have faith that it's divine timing, then to turn that into products and websites and landing pages, easily two to three years. So a lot of people in our business course, which is open to outside students, not just our yoga therapy school students, we, we have a lot of people that come from the outside for that piece. That emergence they come back again and again, they pay once, but they come back and take it two and three more times for free because they want the community. They want the support. You can't do it in a year that the work is too deep to do it in a year. The people who skip over the organic emergence portion 
to get to the products and landing pages don't have that much success and have to come back and do the work anyway. So they come back and filter through like, okay, now I got the the big picture. Now I'm going to go back and do the deeper work. So I just am so grateful to Janet for showing us in real time what that emergence looks like and the honesty and authenticity that it takes to bring yourself forward to be of service in this world, which is why we're all here. So thank you, Janet, for being so vulnerable and so open with all of us to kind of see a a role model of what it looks like. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. It's my pleasure and honor to be with you each week. We're growing and growing. I think we're almost at 60,000 downloads. We haven't even been here for two years yet. And I'm just really, really appreciative. So my best of humanity award for this week, I have one every week and I'm still waiting for some of you to, to call in or email me your best of humanity stories. But my best of humanity this week is you the people out there listening and letting these podcasts filter into your minds and your hearts, going out into the world, honest, authentic, and being of service. I think being together each week like this is the juice that helps me keep going forward in my dharma. And I hope that somehow it is supporting you also to do your dharma. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, mailing list where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content, and that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.